ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Martin Schreier. He's a professor and head of the Department of Marketing and the Institute for Marketing Management at WU Vienna, Austria. He's also the editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Research and Marketing, which is the official journal of the European Marketing Academy. Today, we'll be talking about generative AI and how it may affect marketing in the future. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I've interviewed people about generative AI, and over the past three years, several entrepreneurs with startups that have at their heart generative AI. And it's been interesting because it's gone from something that seems very fictional and not many people are using it to something that many people are aware of. And it's generating a lot of conversation. And it was one of the key issues in the Hollywood Guild strikes. And you and several of your colleagues wrote a wonderful article for the International Journal of Research and Marketing that really sets out a great summary of the questions, concerns, opportunities, and implications related to generative AI, teaching, research, and marketing. And so this conversation is going to be a bit different from a lot of the conversations I've had with other academics published in the IJRM, in that the conversation isn't about the results of a specific piece of research, but rather a more free-ranging conversation about the impact of new rapidly evolving technology and an informed conversation around that and that you 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 know what you're talking about and you know human behavior and you know marketing and then we have this new tech so how do we think it's all going to interact and first you're the editor-in-chief of the IJRM and your journal has updated its policy in response to generative AI can you share how you've adjusted the policy and and sort of a bit of your thinking around that adjustment yes yeah, sure so i think what was very important to us when we first heard about ChatGPT and its use in the area of academic research. One of the things that became very clear to us is that generative AI or ChatGPT specifically cannot be a co-author. And we, we have seen some exploration at the beginning of this year where some papers, some authors have added ChatGPT as a co-author. And because when we talk about papers, we, we need to make sure the authors can be held accountable for what they write. That's very clear that we cannot use that. On the other hand, we really think of generative AI as an interesting tool for everyone, including researchers. But uh, what is very important is that we are transparent about its use. Whenever researchers are using ChatGPT to edit text, to create images, to generate tables, and so on, it's okay as long as the reader understands uh, how these tools have been used. And I think that's actually, in general, a nice advice uh, to when we think about using these tools, when we think about using these tools in the classroom with students, but also when we use these tools as marketers, uh, when we interact with customers. I think it's a it's a fair point to say we need to be transparent with the tools that we are using. In addition to not being able to be a co-author, the issue of citation and where the information comes from, it was trained on large data sets and can mine up to a certain point in time, but it can't really cite or can it? My understanding was that they couldn't, but I, I wanted to just check. 
in terms I of I don't your... think so. I mean, one of the exciting things about Gen AI is that whatever you say today might be outdated tomorrow. But uh, I think uh, we have to understand uh, with all the applications that we are discussing, we have to understand what type of problems do we want to solve with these type of tools. And we, we have to bear in mind that we talk about predictions. ChatGPT or large language models are all about predicting the next word over internet text. So it's well, about predictions. And when we talk about when we talk about referencing existing word, we want to be sure that that what you come up with in terms of uh, a reference exists. And there are many examples where people have explored these tools and just found out that their own research is cited wrongly and so on. It's not a good tool in terms of precision, in terms of finding the, the right literature and so on. I think that that comment about it's predictive in that it is, it is saying, what is the next most likely word? What is the next most likely thing? It isn't sentient and thinking, at least not right now. So you've touched on reliability, uh, validity. If somebody is thinking of using the tool are there any other things that they need to really keep in mind with the tools as they are right now? I think with regard to research, but also more broadly, I think it's important to bear in mind that the tool does not produce outputs that can be taken one-to-one when passed on, passed mm-hmm. on to a paper, passed on to an agency, passed on to a customer. The human should be in the loop. You can ask ChatGPT to come up with a, with a good abstract for the article that you have already written, and you can then have a look whether you like it, you can tweak it, you can change the, your prompting strategy, uh, and so on. And you can also use ChatGPT to basically collect data in a way that you use the tools as a source of potentially synthetic data. And you you can pretest some ideas, whether they would work with the beliefs that are embedded in in these models. And and then you go to reword and and test it. Right, Uh, right. uh, I think there are many applications in the natural sciences. Uh, There was a paper in Nature two years ago, where they presented their own neural network-based model, the AlphaFold, that basically helps researchers to understand the structure of proteins. And that's that's a great tool that helps researchers to mine much faster the solution space in order to develop new drugs, to understand diseases, and so on. So also in this case, it is a tool that, that is now available to us that helps us to solve problems potentially better and makes our lives easier. Right. And very, very swiftly as well. One of the things that you mentioned in the paper, which I thought was really interesting, was the ways in which AI might generate research questions. And this made me think and and wonder what you thought around how much the engineering of the question the what to explore and investigate is part of the art and skill of a researcher, that that's part of the expertise, the part of the human, aha, the newness, like that you see a white space. Do you think that generation of questions is anchored in expertise? And does the generative AI being used to generate questions pose a risk to expertise? Well, I think it it, it can potentially boost 
expertise okay uh, or, or or the capabilities of the experts right i think it's similar to to creativity and we we have always thought about automation being great in many areas but not in creativity not when it comes to new ideas but i think we are we are dramatically revising these beliefs right now and there's a recent paper by people from Wharton that have asked ChatGPT to come up with new ideas for physical products for a college type of audience and they compared the quality of these generated ideas to ideas that have been generated by uh, their students and they found out that people's purchase intention for the ideas that were generated by ChatGPT were actually slightly better. So in that sense, I think there's a lot of power of these tools. And when you, when we think about research, you need to think about a researcher has to has the expertise, but the solution space of potentially interesting ideas is huge. Mm -hmm. So with any creativity task, you can think of a space, three-dimensional, a room which might be foggy, and you have the feeling that there are some cool ideas there. But if you have to mine the solution space by hand, even if you're an expert, that's very tedious. So if you could use a system that, that tells you, well, here are some ideas that are novel, so, so interesting in a way that based on all the data that we have stored collectively, this is novel. And in addition, maybe you also get information that it's likely to work. So in, in empirical terms, we have an idea that A is related to B, and then you get some, some signals that indeed this relationship might exist. And then you could use your own expertise to say, okay, you have your own intuition, and then you pick uh, an idea and then translate into, into your study and so on. So I think in that way, it is similar to a fashion design context where now an expert designer from a fashion company is trying to see whether using some Gen AI tools might be able to push their creativity and help them to create even more innovative new items. Well, it's it's interesting. And I I am so glad you went to the linking to creativity in a more tra traditional sense rather than just, well, I don't mean to downgrade creativity and research. Obviously, there's a lot of creativity there, but it's of a piece. And is there a risk? Do you think there is a potential risk that leaning on generative AI would reduce or dull the creative skills of marketers. I mean, right now we do have an ex we have a generation of experts who didn't have AI. So they've re they've gotten they've become experts because they've had to work through some of these issues on their own. But then if you have a group of people who haven't had to work through it and they lean into it, is this is creativity in all of its stripes is it a muscle that atrophies the idea of practice to achieve greatness? Or do you think that, no, actually it's it's a tool like a hammer. You, you, you're just as good at building a house with a hammer as a pneumatic nail gun. Where where do you fall on that? I think I fall more on the on the tool side, but of okay. course it depends on how you use the tool, right? If you, do, if you use the tool in the wrong way, if you don't reflect about what you get, then it might be dangerous. But if you use it in a in a in a right way, it's also not that you ask Jenny I, hey, you know, be creative, give me an idea, and then you you get it, and then you just pass it on. What is happening? You 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 start some prompting, yeah, you get some output, you might not like it, you tweak it, you feed different additional data. 
so it's really an iterative uh, process and it's it's i think it's similar to the to the normal creative processes that have that we have been studied right it's not an an artist sits uh, in a room and then he waits until the creativity comes iterative process and and we just have a new tool and of course what is important is that we have to learn uh, because the tool is new how we have to use the tool So, for example, colleagues at my department, they are experimenting with different processes. For example, should you start with your own idea, then send it to a Gen AI tool and and revise it? Or should you first ask uh, Gen AI to come up with an idea and then you you join it? Or, for example, if you think of the some of the the visual AI tools, uh, Midjourney and so on. So... Mm. If if you want to create an image, how many options should the tool provide you so you can indicate whether you like a given option or not? So should it be two? Should it be four? How should the similarity among these options that are offered to you, how should that be? So another colleague has looked at the difference of, of what's the likelihood that a certain user is going to download an image. Mm-hmm. It turns out that if you show the people more similar images, you have a higher conversion as opposed to if the images are more different. But that's in a way surprising because from a problem solving, from a search perspective, you you could have thought that offering different starting solutions might provide you a better roadmap to actually discover what you really want. I I wouldn't have expected that. Winding it back, sort of behavioral, psychological impact. Do you think that people feel the same level of ownership and fulfillment around creativity if they have teamed with an AI? Do they feel equal sense of ownership of that? And, and accomplishment because creativity is very human, right? It's a human activity and it makes people feel good. Does it feel the same way in terms of impact to people? Yeah, that's a great question. There no, there's no real data on this, but I think it depends on how much you put yourself into the process. As I mentioned, it's an iterative process between you and the tool. Mm. And the more you invest into this process, I think the more you will feel ownership of the outcome. If you just press one button, then you're not going to feel it's your idea. But if if it's a real journey with you using the tool, I think uh, it's going to be similar to you using uh, other tools. What is interesting, and that's yet another research uh, group from uh, Rotterdam, uh, they have looked at how do you think about your contribution to something that you created with uh, Gen AI versus how do other people think of you having used the tool? That's, that is very interesting. You know, I, it reminds me of Cake Mix way back in the 60s, they first introduced Cake Mix. And they discovered that consumers felt that they had made the cake as long as they added eggs, but they had to do the cracking of the eggs and and then they made the cake, even though, and they didn't have, the the mix didn't need them. They could have dried the eggs and put it in and it would just be add water and oil and poof, you've got a cake. But the consumer didn't feel that ownership. So it's a real, it's interesting, the ownership level and how people feel that other piece that you feeling ownership, but also the other people feeling ownership, which is very interesting because it segues over to when we look at marketing, where generative AI can change things. And in the paper, one of the things mentioned was social media posts. And I'm curious around that. 
because of the desire for people to have authenticity. A lot of my conversations with the researchers is around, you know, what's the Goldilocks number of followers and how important is it that the people feel that their influencers be authentic and and can AI really play in that generative AI play in that space? What do you what do you think there? That's also a, a, an absolutely exciting direction of questions. So we don't really know. I think we have to differentiate between what I able to produce with or without a tool. And second, how do you communicate that to your audience? And maybe third, how does the audience react as a function of what you communicate? If you think about the, the potential in terms of what content can you create, I think it's going to be exciting because, of course, Gen AI can help you to create content in a much quicker way and maybe even in a better way. Mm -hmm. right? I think one of the big next steps, if we observe what is going on in the industry, is that the GPTs will be customized for... Right whatever purpose you want, right? You might have a hammer for a nail, but then of course you also, you might actually have your hammer for your nail. And that's going to be, I think, exciting. I'm not sure how far that will be in the future, but you can imagine that if you have a lot of data on your own account, so you produced a lot of content and you have all kinds of other data, the way you write emails and so on, right? If you if you feed and train a system with that, maybe you 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 get content created that is really you. I interviewed an entrepreneur who's launched a business precisely that personal AI, where essentially you train it on your own data and then it writes emails, orders things and, and serves it's your personal assistant in your voice. And which is exactly that kind of thing. And what's interesting also going back to your your question of how do other people perceive your use of a tool, it makes me think of the research that was conducted around if an influencer said that a post was sponsored or an ad or nothing mm -hmm. at all, like how, how consumers react to that. And I imagine similarly, if, if there was an AI assist, do you think ethically, if there is an AI involvement, it should be tagged as such just generally that people should be very upfront and transparent about that or do you think that's not necessary i think in general transparency is key i mean i'm not sure whether it will be implemented or how it could be enforced but i think it would be cool but i also think that if you say what in many cases will be reality is that you if you say you co-created or the content is co-created with ai Mm. Uh, maybe that's going to be fine. It's very hard to draw the line. If if we write academic papers, we and, and if you're not native English, right. uh, even if you are, we send it to a copy editor before uh, publication or submission, and the copy editor does a great job, and 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 right. uh, they get paid for that. So in that sense, uh, I think as long as you are not pretending that this is you and and you are not there at all, so 100% AI uh, generated, uh, I think that's going to be fine. Of course, if it is totally generated, then you're going to be in trouble, exactly as you say, when we, when we talk about what do people want, right? I think right. that's something that is also exciting and that has not been discussed very much up to this point, right? We just talk about what is possible from a generation perspective, and that's awesome. But we also need to see what consumers want. And a couple of years ago, there was a very nice exhibition at the museum in Vienna about handicraft. Mm. And uh, there was a sign in the museum that said, the more digital 
our world, the more analog our dream. And that that really, and we, we, we did research in the past on how consumers react to handmade products, right? We observed that more and more people write handmade, made with love uh, on products and people are excited about it. Think about Etsy and so on, right? Right. Uh, so in that sense, even if you can do stuff with generative AI, and there will be many applications where this will be great, there will always be a market for human-generated stuff, even if it's more expensive, even if it's more tedious, because the consumers are humans and they want to be connected with other people. They want to know who the person is who made a given bag or who, of course, makes uh, social media. is all about being connected with real people. You know, everybody used to make their own clothes and then tailors and then retail off the rack. And there are still some tailors, not as many as they were, but a tailored suit is a tailored suit. It's it's really something special. And you do pay a premium for it. I'm curious your opinion about AI influencers, because I know some of them already exist, right? And has there been any research around public reception of a totally AI-generated influencer? Well, I think if you know that in the in the area of cyborgs and, and robots, and you can also have a pet that is managing a social media account, so to say, right? Mm. And and then as a consumer, of course, you you know that. And if the interactions uh, give you something, then it's fine. We also know that if you think about elderly people that are alone, if the alternative is is not to have anyone around, maybe. Right. Robot that is programmed in a way that mimics human interactions will be very helpful. But the important point is you don't pretend uh, to be a human when you're a robot. And that, that is the same thing with influencers. As long as you know what you're into, I think it's fine. But I think it's, it will not be fine if you pretend to be a human and to generate authentic content in if when, in fact, everything is generated. Right. It reminds me, I think I read some article someplace about people anthropomorphizing their Roomba vacuum. People will imbue into things that they interact with, with, with frequency. In the paper, you also reference democratization of the marketing function. What did you mean by that? In what ways will this democratize marketing? So on the one hand, I think because these tools are now available at, at low cost, then everyone can use them. It can be nonprofits, it can be startups, it can be individuals, it can be used in parts of the world that is less advantaged compared to us. And and but also you you might need less skills, as we said before. So like in you know, in the long run, I think it's a it's a very interesting at least thought to think about you could you could create a song or a painting without necessarily being trained to play an instrument or to paint, right? You right. Your voice. And the same thing with the video, right? You can this text to something, text to video, text to image. That's an awesome idea, right? So all the, the constraints in a way is your mind. And right. you can come up with a nice advertisement clip. And before you couldn't execute 
And it's very hard to explicate your idea in words. It's much better to see the final, final product. We know from idea generation contests that the better an idea is described, everything else constant, the better it is being evaluated by experts. When I had my agency, one of the most challenging things we had was clients giving us feedback and they'd say things like, I want it more rocking. What, what is that? You know, And so there was a certain amount of art in some ways, we were the generative AI. We were coming up with the stuff for them. And their prompts were super lousy, really not very helpful. And I wonder if it trains people how to actually express themselves better or if it won't drive people to similarity. If we think about novelty being such a driver of engagement, people notice something that's novel, right? But if everybody is if is using similar prompts, will they generate things that are too similar? Yeah, it's interesting. And it, I mean, you hit the point. I mean, one of the, the things, the, the difficulties in, in the, the situations you described is that how can you explicate your preferences to another person, uh, even if you might not really be aware of your preferences? Because well, this is right when we do, when we would do market trailers for a film and they would then go to testing and we always wanted the client to understand the testing they aren't going to be predicting what you need if something's missing they're not going to necessarily tell you what that thing is because they don't know it they don't know what they want you don't get a light bulb from a candle yeah it's a good point and i think with the prompting of course you can make everyone a better prompter but the 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 absolute level of uh, quality that you have will still be distributed. Some people will be better uh, than others. It's a tool and you need to bring something on a table in addition because the tool itself, you need to use it. It's practice, but I also think you need talent and not everyone will be able to to use one of these tools to to design fashion items. You need more, but maybe everyone has an area of application that is that is good. So for example, we, our students, they, they are also trained to, to code in order to do a more complicated statistical analysis using R. And, and up to a certain point, our teaching assistants had to look over the code of the students to find bugs uh, for right. runs. And that, that was very tedious. And now they found out that they can, the students can just plug in the code into ChatGPT and 98% of the problems are solved by click. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. That is very that awesome. awesome. That's one of the things where I think, oh, really? This is such a nice thing. And the Coda community, they, they are pretty excited about that because big parts of, of the tedious work that is not exciting is now being done by some, some sort of AI and they are more productive and happier. I mentioned this earlier, a lot of creative work, a lot of this is the work people want to do. 52% of young adults in North America report after graduating that they want to work in a creative field. They want to work in this field. They want to, to do this work. And I wonder if there's a larger societal challenge, the labor economics of the impact and the human desire around this stuff, if there's going to be some unanticipated consequence because of the speed with which the technology is 
evolving. Yes, it democratizes in that many businesses can do this without adding to staff, but then there's also all that add to staff that isn't happening. And is that going to be challenging? Do you- oh, it's very hard. I think we will need to find out. On the other hand, there, there have always been dreams about what you want to become. If you ask mm-hmm. the young kids what they want to become, it's going to be soccer professionals. <laughs> And it's not going to happen. So they find something else and they also have a good life. So I think in that respect, in that respect, we are fine. Of course, everyone also discusses to what extent will humans be replaced and we we can't really tell. But Mm. uh, a classic answer, I think that makes sense is that it's it's not humans versus AI. It is more humans with AI. Right. if you do a given job faster with a better tool, you have time to do other things. So at some point, we were training our students how to perform a T-test. And we had to explain how you do that. And, and then they had to do it with their with their pen on a piece of paper. And then, you, then we got the great software programs where you don't have to calculate this by hand anymore. You can, you can do many more tests in a given amount of time. And as you move forward, you can spend more time on uh, finding the right problem. You can spend more time on interpreting the findings, on thinking about what type of decisions follow from a given market research, for example. So in that sense, I think it, it goes in line with the general evolution of that we all become more professional as a society and become more efficient. And if 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 we get more time to spend our leisure time, it's going to be fine too. Right. So last question, there are already programs out there offering certifications in generative AI and marketing. Is it possible when the technology is evolving so swiftly? And do you think those certifications are useful for professionals out there to get? You know, I think if the training is good, the training will be very helpful, even though the field evolves uh, so quickly. I think what is what is important is that people start to think about how they can use the tools, that mm-hmm. companies start to explore for what type of areas uh, these things might be working in their context, even if the field evolves very quickly, but you need to have a hand on the ball to to not lose track on, on where the industry is going. And I'm not sure whether you need a certificate of something that might be outdated, but on the other hand, if you can show a short-term signal that you did something, maybe it's also helpful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for walking through these, these issues. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Gabriella. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our opening. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.